This is Peter Schweitzer. And Eric Eggers. We're with the Government Accountability Institute, and we have a podcast called The Drill Down, uh, and you can find it at thedrilldown.com. Sean has asked us to fill in, and uh, we are thrilled to be here in New York City doing so. We'll see if it happens again, but so far, <laughs> we're honored to be here. It's so great to have Sean and his team offer us the platform to talk about the things that we do at the Government Accountability Institute that we regularly discuss on our weekly podcast, The Drill Down. And uh, one of the people that we have on our podcast at thedrilldown.com is GAI fellow Jason Chaffetz. Yeah, and he's one of my favorite people in Washington. I knew about Jason before I knew Jason. Jason was the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, which you know does investigation of the kinds of things we're interested in. And the thing that was great about Jason and is still great about Jason is he goes after both sides. He doesn't care if you have an R or a D after your name, if you're engaging in corrupt behavior, uh, he is going to call you out. And so when we launched this project at the Government Accountability Institute to begin exposing uh, the corruption and the cronyism at America's labor unions, Jason was a natural person to get involved. And that is a project that we've just launched. And Jason is one of the people taking a lead on it. And we have Jason with us here. Jason, thanks much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. appreciate it. So teachers unions, a lot of people think of teachers unions. They focus on, you know, getting a better pension or getting better, better benefits for uh, teachers. That's not what America's teachers unions are about today anymore. Are they really? That's not their major focus of their action, of their activities. Uh, unfortunately, you, you would hope it would be all about the kids and, you know, those PTA meetings and what can we do to help the kids? And you can understand where the union wants to, you know, fight for, for certain benefits for, for teachers and what. But that's not what's going on today. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, we found through GAI um, that is really quite noticeable is, for instance, the American American Federation of Teachers, the, the increase in political participation uh, they they raised something like three point seven million dollars in two thousand eight, but then it was up to twenty million dollars in the twenty twenty election cycle. And but so much of it was about um, social activism, political lobbying, uh, immigration, um, racial justice, things that weren't necessarily all about the kids. And I think what you're speaking to, Jason, and it's such an important point. Is you know one of our common phrases at the Government Accountability Institute is follow the money, right? Now, we didn't come up with that. That's Woodward and Bernstein. But I think that the motto and the message still holds. And so I think the point is, if you follow the money, right, what do you see? You see the fact that the money that teachers unions now have does what? It's going towards radical political activism. So the people that are in charge of the classroom environments that Americans' children sit in are now actively working to support liberal political uh, activities. Yeah, I mean, and that's what's that's what's changed, and it and it changed with some of the leadership that came into place. Randy Weingarten, uh, who who leads up and heads up the American Federation of Teachers, but it also happened over at the National Education Association. Um, there was this great find that one of the researchers there at GAA found it admitted to Ed Week, which I know every good American subscribes to Ed Week, <laughs> um, but admitted that the core business of the NEA, NEA, the National Education Association, 
it's no longer pensions and health care insurance, but actually social activism and political lobby. I mean, so they're actually saying it out loud. You follow the money, as Eric mentioned, and uh, it's changing the landscape and it and it's creating animosity and it's creating political division. And it's not necessarily in the best interest of the kids. So, Jason, one of the interesting things for me in all of this is I had great teachers. I went to public schools. I'm sure you had great teachers. Eric did as well. I certainly didn't have teachers that were radical like this. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think the vast majority of public school teachers out there aren't as radical as the leadership of the American Federation teacher and the and the NEA. So, in a way, there, there's a potentially a real opportunity here to make sure that there is a division between the leadership and the general teacher population. And that maybe is a way to start trying to reform some of these unions from what in. Do you think I'm being too optimistic there? No, I think I think one of the things we're going to be able to expose with the work at GAI is to be able to show this. My guess is a major portion, I don't know if it's the majority, but a major portion of those that are actually contributing a few dollars a month to the cause to be part of this union are going to be shocked to see where their money actually ends up going. And if we can do nothing else but shine the, the light on where this money is going and what they're actually advocating for, I think certainly uh, the students, the parents, and, and some of the administrators, but the teachers, I think, are going to be pretty shocked on, on where this money is actually flowing. We're talking to distinguished fellow Jason Chaffetz of the Government Accountability Institute. He's a former member of Congress and somebody who I think I don't I've never met anybody that takes more personally the expense of any tax dollar than Jason that's, Chaffetz. That's exactly right. right. I mean, yeah. Jay, you don't have to get Jason fired up. You talk about a nickel going to yeah. the wrong place. Yeah. And yep. so I think it's so interesting why Jason's so perfect to talk about the new report that we have at the Government Accountability Institute that will be coming online next uh, next year, the first part of next year, is we're talking about the hard-earned dollars of America's teachers. Now think about everything that America's teachers have had to endure over the last 20 months. As COVID happened, they had to radically reinvent the way in which education was delivered in a way that was deemed safe but also effective. They had to think about cleaning their classroom. They had to think about teaching in mass and teaching online, teaching hybrid. I mean, the job satisfaction of the teachers that I know has never been at all-time low. So think about what, I think this is why this is so important, is that we should be supporting and cheering the people that are still willing to go into the classroom and support America's youth and so when we expose, as this report will do, that the money that the teachers actually give to their unions because they think they're supporting things like, hey, better pay, better pensions, better health insurance, we're safer classroom environments. Right. The reality is, is that the money that they're spending is going to a leadership that instead doesn't advocate for things that are actually about the classroom, but are about political activism. What are some other examples that we've seen, Jason? Well, particularly with elections, you, you see a lot um, of advocacy for some very specific things. And a lot of the gay rights issues, and uh, they, they call it, you know, the human rights and, and other things. But it really has taken over uh, a major portion of what they're doing is advocacy for some gay rights issues that maybe I think parents and students and the teachers would be a little bit surprised on. 
Yeah, we can't talk a lot about it today because it's an ongoing investigation we're doing of the American Federation of Teachers. But one of the things that's interesting is how Randy Weingarten, the head of the AFT, uh, has thrown around money. You pointed out certainly that they're pouring a lot more uh, of their money into or teachers money into elections. Uh, We also know that they uh, wasted a million dollars in teacher pension money. Uh, on counterfeit COVID supplies from China. And there's going to be some very interesting reports on deals and agreements that Randy Weingarten has signed with cronies and that even benefit family members uh, in the uh, city or state of New York. So the point is, this is not just about liberal politics. It's also about corruption and, and how they are actually handling the money that these teachers have entrusted them with, Jason. Yeah, that, it- Again, it, it, there are certain requirements and things that they do in terms of what they publicly disclose, but the amount of money that's flowing and then going into elections, um, I, I, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, so one of the other themes that we are developing in this report that I find fascinating is sort of the alliance between the teachers' unions and the Biden administration. That's not a surprise. But the Biden administration is actually using taxpayer dollars to expand this alternative schooling model uh, that they call community schools. And what community schools really do is they say, hey, we're educating your kids, but we want to handle more of their health care, more of their nutrition, more of their psychological counseling. We want to have this holistic approach because, after all, these schools are doing such a great job <laughs> educating our children to, to begin with. And in, under the Biden administration, you're actually seeing a 14-fold increase from $30 million to over $400 million a year on this scheme. And, of course, they're hiring a lot of contractors and consultants that tend to be, lo and behold, connected to some of these union leaders. Well, it's not just a lot of these unions, but so much of this ties back into China again. I mean, it's just it's the theme that just keeps on coming. I mean, Peter, you have certainly been uh, a leader in exposing so many of these ties and and associations and um, interesting bedfellows, if you will, with what's going on in China. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, there's going to be more uh, coming out uh, on that in January. Um, can't say any more about that. But, yeah, we are absolutely on on the China narrative. So, Jason, how are things? You're in Utah. How are things in Utah? I mean, uh, you're, you're open compared to a lot of other parts around the country. Uh, are people dying in the streets in Utah? Uh, you know, are people rebelling because they don't think the government is responding? Or are people in Utah actually taking responsibility for their own health in the midst of this pandemic? Well, I think there's, uh, there's, Utah is a very interesting, it says a big libertarian streak. Um, and, uh, I, I think most people here, they understand the severity. They understand it's a serious situation. Um, a good portion have been vaccinated, but a good portion have said, no, I'm not going to do that. But the idea of personal responsibility and taking on their own, uh, responsibility for their health care, I just, I don't think there's, I think a a majority of people here think that government forcing somebody to inject themselves is just a bridge too far. That that is just, uh, you certainly shouldn't lose your job over it. You shouldn't be, um, uh, you know, like they're doing in New York, you can't go in to eat and get food and, you know, eat at a restaurant. I I think you'd find that uh, a good portion of the Intermountain West is much more like Texas and Florida 
than it is like New York or California. Well, one of the things we want to talk about, Jason, when it comes to the government forcing people to do things, and we'll come back and keep continuing to talk to former member of Congress Jason Chaffetz, is the effort that was made to make Joe Manchin support this Build Back Better bill and his showing a unique characteristic, a little bit of an independent streak, a willingness to stand up and push back against political expediency because of what he actually thought was in the nation's best interest. Imagine that. He didn't go for the financial incentives. He didn't go for the political pressure. We'll talk to Jason Chaffetz about Joe Manchin's vote and what it means moving forward. On the other side of the Sean Hannity Show, Peter Schweitzer, Eric Eggers. We'll be right back. Sean Hannity, always concerned for our country, always honoring our servicemen and servicewomen, and standing up for liberty every day. Sean Hannity. Hello, America. This is Peter Schweitzer. And Eric Eggers. We're with the Government Accountability Institute, and we are talking with distinguished GAI fellow and former member of Congress, Jason Chaffetz. Uh, Jason, we talked earlier in the show about the enormous pressure that must, must have been brought to bear to Joe Manchin. And really, honestly, in a profile in Courage, he resisted it. Uh, tell us a little bit what it's like to be on the inside. What pressures, what uh, uh, attempts to curry favor with you induce you to do things you didn't want to do did you experience when you were in Congress? Um, well, they put a lot of pressure on you in terms of the party and leadership. And are you going to get your own bills brought to the floor? Are you going to get certain priorities and recognition? And uh, will you be able to do the core work that you're supposed to be doing for your your own constituents? But Senator Manchin and, and Kristen Sinema and some others, I think we're very clear. Um, I, I think the Democrats way overstepped because I think they a- acted as if they had a mandate in a in an overwhelming majority and they didn't and and now they seem to have now they seem to have burned that bridge with joe manchin right i mean they're attacking him personally uh, making up all these allegations about him are they going to be able to repair that breach uh probably not uh and i i think the things that are being said i think he's just beyond belief in terms of the viciousness and and just the flat-out incorrect information you know, they turned on him and such in saying that he, he went back on his word. I think Joe Manchin was actually pretty clear that he was very concerned about a whole host of things. Um, keep in mind, this is a bill in the Senate that had the text had never been published. Right. Um, the scoring was totally different than how they said. You, I don't care how many times President Joe Biden says it costs zero. It's not going to add a dime to the deficit. But when the CBO comes out and says, well, five trillion uh, it doesn't seem like that's that's accurate and there were so many bird bath problems you know senator bird you know trying to do things on reconciliation that you can't do at the end of the day it was bad for for west virginia it was bad for the country and joe manchin recognized that and and uh, shame on the white house and joe biden for trying to push something through that was so radical so far to the left that it, it's just it was not palatable. The majority of the United States Senate said no. That's the reality. 
Well, so we are talking with distinguished GAI fellow Jason Chaffetz, uh, a man of uh, consistency in principle, as Joe Manchin appears to be now. Uh, this is Peter Schweitzer and Eric Eggers. We are filling in for Sean Hannity, uh, and we will be back right after this. Continuing the mission of saving America as we return to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Peter Schweitzer. And Eric Eggers. We're with the Government Accountability Institute. And Merry Christmas, America. We are filling in for Sean, and we're glad to be doing so. We appreciate this opportunity. You can find our podcast at thedrilldown.com. It comes out every Thursday. We expose cronyism and corruption relentlessly in Washington, D.C., and you can find that podcast anywhere where quality podcasts can be found. Only where the quality ones can that's be correct. found. That's you know, correct. None of those bootleg versions exact, you pick up. Like It's like those purses you see in New York City on the sidewalk. You know, these are the real, genuine article. You're not picking up purses in New York, are you? Not ones that are made in China. <laughs> well, let's take some calls. Let's talk to Craig in Pennsylvania who wants to talk about, we were discussing earlier the Japanese internment camps. He wants to talk a little bit about how this affected Germans and Italian-Americans as well. Craig, how are you? Real fine. Nice speaking to you, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas. Yeah, my family came uh, to the States in 38. I'm first-generation American. My uh, parents were children when they uh, came here. And by 1941 is that they got a knock on the door from the FBI. And even though they were American citizens at that time, they had full citizenship, is that the FBI basically put it to them and said, you guys are coming with us down to Texas where we're keeping a bunch of uh, people we want to keep our eyes on for the duration of the war. So my grandfather, my uh, great uncle, and my oldest uncle cut a deal that basically put them in the Pacific Theater uh, for the duration of the war where they fought an, an island hopping campaign with the Marine Corps strictly because they were German. And then that's so what this country's government can do to you. They put them in a position where they said, you guys are going no matter what. We have to keep an eye on you. And my grandmother just about lost her mind when they said, if the whole family goes, nobody's going to be able to pay the taxes on the land, and they're going to lose their house and farm and everything. So if people don't think that this government can do things to you, they can. And it's just as easy as a stroke of a pen. Well, thank you, Craig. We appreciate uh, that uh, explanation of the part of history that we didn't cover. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Remember what Jefferson said, the extent that government can do something for you, it can do something to you. But I, And I just want to point out that I think one of the parallels there is that Craig's family was perceived to be hostile, right, or dangerous because they fell into a category right. that was perceived to be not obedient or not in line with what the government's mission or agenda was at that time. And, you know, you've heard some people draw comparisons between the unvaccinated and people considered to be hostile. But I think that's what's so dangerous about this duality, right? There's right. like you're either in or you're not. Right. And this inversion of the social contract where we are now being told to see other human beings, other Americans. Like, I think we're meant to live in community with each other and help each other. And to why I have such a hard time with it is that we're now told to see that you could be a threat, like you could physically impact my well-being and I should be afraid of you. And I just think that that's so backwards and dangerous and unhealthy. Like yeah. that's unhealthier yeah. than me breathing your air. Yeah, it, it makes us suspicious of each other at a time when we already have 
uh, political divisions and other divisions. It's just pouring uh, more fuel on that fire. Uh, let's go to Joe in New Jersey, uh, who wants to talk about Jen Psaki. Joe, how are you? Yes. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you very much for taking my call. Thanks for joining us. Go ahead. I, I just can't get over Jen Psaki. How does she square up the fact that illegal immigrants can cross the border and not get tested? And she defends that by saying, well, they're not going to be here that long. But yet, if I want to go to London or London wants to come here, you know, for a week, we have to go through all kinds of COVID testing. You have to have up to the minute testing, up to the second testing. But that's okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> when, a great. You know, we're only going to be there for a week. It's a great, it's a great, great question, Joe. And I think Jen Psaki probably has the worst job in Washington, which she has to go up there and and basically uh, lie or try to explain her way out of things. And I think this is one of the challenges that people have. Like, I don't think people want to actively not contribute towards a positive outcome. Right. So this idea that unvaccinated Americans or Americans that don't want to wear their mask, that they're somehow selfish and, and disobedient and they don't care about the well-being of other people. I, I don't know if it's that so much as that. Some people, you know, we can be intellectually honest, right? And I think what you're speaking to is a lack of intellectual consistency, a lack of intellectual honesty. It's no different than when you go to a restaurant in one of these cities with mask mandates, like in New York City. Right. When you see everybody sitting shoulder to shoulder at a table or shoulder to shoulder at a bar. But when you get up to use the restroom, you have to put your mask on. And that, <laughs> and no one questions that. And that's just, right. no, that's just how it is. Right, right. Makes absolutely no sense. And, of course, that's the point that Brandon Judd was talking about earlier, right? This this issue of immigration, the reason Jen Psaki doesn't know much about the border, she knows a lot about the border, <laughs> but she can't say it because of the political agenda of this administration. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for your call. Let's go to Michael in Georgia. Um, Michael, you say you're going to lose your job because of the vaccine mandate? Uh, yes, sir. Um, without getting into too much detail, I work uh, for a government contractor, for a yeah. defense contractor, yeah. on a military installation. And when the, uh, when the mandate came out for federal workers, uh, we were given the option to fill out religious exemption paperwork. We filled that out. It was rejected. As far as I know, everyone that filled one out was rejected. Um, I uh, filed a um, EOC complaint. Um, Good for you. Citing religious discrimination. Yep. Uh, the next step in that process is a phone interview, and the EOC is not conducting phone interviews until the day after I lose my job. Oh, Michael. Michael, it's terrible. I, I applaud you because you are uh, helping to protect our country as, as a contractor, and you are actually being put under a greater constraint than somebody from Saudi Arabia or Romania who's sneaking across the border uh, in Mexico. You actually have more, you actually have less rights and more restrictions on you than they do. And you wonder what will happen if this vaccine mandate ends up being blocked by a court, which has happened elsewhere, or in some cases, based on legal pushback, some of these local municipalities actually then rescind, okay, fine, we're sorry that we cost these people their jobs. We no longer are doing that as some counties in Florida are doing because of the way they've structured the law in Florida. But what good does that do to people like Michael who didn't lose their job even after the fact that the policies that caused them to lose their job has been revoked? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, Michael, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if the government says you're going to lose your job unless you get vaccinated? What are you going to do? Not sure. I got four kids. No. God bless you, Michael. Well, we will be praying for you. I, I appreciate your principled stand. I know there are a lot of organizations out there helping with lawsuits. I hope you seek those out. Some of those people have been on Sean's show. Uh, I hope you seek them out. You're not alone in this, brother. There are other people that also believe in individual freedom. So, so please don't lose faith, and please keep us updated. Quick thing. Everybody that I've talked to, legal counsel-wise, has told me the next thing to do is file an EEOC complaint. Yeah. 
Yep, and, and that's what you've done. That, that's where I'm stuck. Yeah, yeah. Well, God bless you, Michael. Um, uh, we will be praying for you, and we hope things uh, turn out for the, for the best. Uh, let's go to Bruce in California, um, and Bruce wants to talk to us about uh, teachers and elites. Bruce, how are you? Hey, thanks for taking my call, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. I, I got I to gotta tell you, man, I am sick of hearing about the, the teachers of what they have gone through this past year and a half because they haven't gone through anything, because they haven't done anything. All they're doing is lining their pocketbooks and their bank accounts because of the teachers' union holding out, and the only people that are suffering are the children and the parents of those children because those parents are forced to stay home, so they're losing jobs, not because of COVID, but because of this administration who is putting these mandates on on everything, and the teachers are just standing in line to wait for more money. And my grandchildren have to wear a mask. Four years old, she's in preschool, and she's wearing a mask all day. That pisses me off, I'm telling you. I'm sure it does. Now, uh, Bruce, you're in California, correct? Correct. So did your children get to go to school, or your grandchildren get to go to school last year, or is this the first year they've been able to return to a brick-and-mortar facility? Yeah, the, the latter of what you just said. Yeah, and I think that's... So, well, and that's, that's so I, I think... Have, I have a grand... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think that speaks to anything that helps inform your perspective, because I would say in Florida, where schools, because of the order of Governor DeSantis, were forced to be open last calendar year. So I think that's where the teachers did have to go back in place. And to be honest, a lot of the teachers that we spoke to, I have four children also who are in elementary school and preschool, their teachers wanted to be back in the classroom because they actually enjoy teaching. But I do think some of the dynamics you're speaking to, there was definitely a lot of political pressure and a lot of the union membership said, wait a minute, can we get paid to not be there? And I think, so I think what you're speaking to is, is a dynamic unique to California and some of these other states where the lockdowns lasted a lot longer than other states. Well, since I'm in California, it is my world. So as far as I'm concerned, that's what's happening is the teachers union and the teachers that are just lining up to line their bank accounts. You know, New York, Florida, Texas may be different, but I'm just concerned about where I live. You know, not the rest of the country, but me and mine. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not liking it. No, it's incredibly, incredibly troubling, and I can't. There's some millions of parents like you that uh, I think feel the same way and feel the same frustration and sacrifice. So we appreciate you sharing your story because I know there's a lot of people across the country that that resonates with and can relate to it. Uh, we'll take a few more calls and come back. It's 1-800-941-7326, 1-800-941-SEAN. It's Eric Eggers and Peter Schweitzer with the Government Accountability Institute. We host a podcast called The Drill Down that you can find on any podcast platform. And at the website, thedrilldown.com, we're happy to be filling in for Sean Handy. One more segment to go. You guys have a Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. This is Peter Schweitzer. And Eric Eggers. And Merry Christmas. We are with the Government Accountability Institute. We've been filling in with for Sean Hannity on his radio show. And I have to tell you, Eric, I've had a blast. This is the first time I've ever done this, and I've had an absolute blast doing this. Well, you did a wonderful job. Again, we sort of joked that you becoming and transitioning. You know, transitioning is a buzzword <laughs> in 2021. So I think the nation got to experience Peter Schweitzer's transition today from best-selling author to national radio show host. And I think it went much better than Michael Jordan's transition from basketball to uh, baseball. That, thank you very much. I appreciate that. No, it's been a great time. We want to thank Linda and the team here who have made it so much fun and have been so welcoming. Uh, they also help us with uh, um, other things that we do, including our podcast, uh, thedrilldown.com. We covered... Uh, 
issues of cronyism and corruption. It's very uh, investigative in focus, and we have a lot of fun doing it, um, and uh, we look forward to uh, future episodes. Well, I guess we have to do one on Wednesday, right? Yeah. So we'll have to sort of break down a performance. I've got a few notes of critiques of your performance, so we'll share those on the next I, I, podcast. I'm sure you will. I'm, I'm sure you will. So quick question. Yes. Who is getting the Clinton Masterclass uh, for Christmas? Are you getting this for the wife? Well, if I was getting it for my wife, I certainly wouldn't disclose it on national radio because <laughs> it wouldn't be a surprise, Peter. Golly. I don't think you want to surprise anybody with a Clinton gift. Well, I'm not sure that's a good idea in principle. We talked earlier in the show about if, uh, you know, what would what's a better gift, right? A, a Bill Clinton Masterclass. I mean, hey, Merry Christmas. Here's some despair and regret, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or a box of wine or, you know, lots of other categories. But uh, no, I, I don't believe anyone in my family, my immediate family, will be getting uh, a, a Clinton Masterclass gift for Christmas. What about your family? Uh, no Clinton Masterclass. Um, and unlike you, I mean, you've got wonderful kids that are just at a great age. Sometimes. <laughs> um, my kids are all grown, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit different at Christmas. Um, but, you know, that's, I guess, one of the things I want to say finally here um, as, as we're getting ready to end the show. Um, you know, with all the angst and all the frustration, all the anger with everything there about the lockups, let's remember what the season is about. It's Merry Christmas. It's Happy Hanukkah. It's about family. It's about thankfulness. It's about joyousness. And even though you and I deal with the muck every single day, and we're we're investigating this stuff. You have to maintain that spirit to maintain your sanity. And I think you people out there, uh, Sean certainly exhibits this all the time when he's on the air. You want to have a joyous heart. You want to be thankful for what you have and not just be focused on the things that anger you in life. Because if you do, you're going to drive yourself crazy and it's not good for your mental health or for your family. No, I think that's right. You want to celebrate the blessings in your life. You want to celebrate the community and the way it blesses you. Actually, today is my father, Gary Eggers, 70th birthday. Hey, so so happy birthday to him this is what i'm getting you for your birthday so uh you know, unless you want the clinton masterclass if they're offering a discount maybe but i don't know but yeah you're right no there's a lot of positives and i think it's important while we can celebrate or while we can talk about the things that are challenging and frustrating um because because there is a lot at stake for americans right there i is. mean the conditions of american life are actively changing every day That's so right. it's important to talk about that to document that document the forces behind it as we do on our drill down podcast and what incentives they have for that change, it's also important, I think, to have a comprehensive understanding of it's not all negative. That's right. That's right. And and we're not saying block it out. You got to pay attention to it. I mean, this is a very informed audience. You got to be focused. You've got to, uh, you know, look at the issues and address them. Uh, but particularly at this time of the year, I, I just think it's so important. And then to be re-energized and refocused in 2022, because we've got midterm elections coming up in November. Uh, you've got all these issues related to congressional hearings. Um, I've got a book coming out in January. I can't Tease discuss alert. it. Tease yet. alert. <laughs> I can't discuss the details of it, but there are a lot of things that are going to be happening in 2022. So I tell America, let's rest up, let's have a great time, and then let's be prepared to fight the fight when we need to fight the fight next year. Do you want to say anything about your book, like just one nugget or like one thing that you learned in this process? Well, I can tell you this objectively, and you've worked with me for 10 years, and you know I've never said this before. This is without a doubt, the scariest book that I've ever written because of the level of corruption, meaning how high the government officials are and where the money is actually coming from. That's that's what's truly frightening. I just want to point out that you just ended a segment where we encouraged Americans to be <laughs> celebratory and positive and say, by the way, this next book will terrify you. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us on the Sean Hannity Show. This is Peter Schweitzer and Eric Eggers. You can find us on the drilldown.com podcast 
We appreciate you joining us. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all of you.